Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar." For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn And will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number. Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. Consequently he is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Since the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us.
Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity that we have to pray to you. Thank you for the portion of your word that was read tonight and that we heard read. Lord, we thank you for the great high priest, Jesus Christ, who always lives to intercede for us. What a wonderful promise that is. Pray that you'll be with Pastor Mark tonight and give him your words to speak, that we would hear what you have to say for us tonight, and that we would go from here better equipped to tell others the good news of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So just how important is the right mediation to represent us in life when the most important things are on the line? We don't typically go into the purchase of a new home without a professional. We don't operate on ourselves when our health is at stake. We don't go into a courtroom trying to argue our own case. We need proper mediation. But what happens when the only mediation offered can't really take care of the problem at hand? Furthermore, what happens when that mediation concerns your eternal salvation? In our passage this evening, we are going to see one of the reasons why these Hebrew Christians left a comfortable Judaism in the first place. We're going to see that that there is an inherent flaw with the Levitical priesthood. It can't actually save, and it's only a temporary arrangement. Jesus Christ as our priest forever is so much better than anything the Levitical priests had to offer. And tonight we are going to see that because Jesus Christ is a better high priest after the order of Melchizedek, we can trust in his mediation. And to do this, we're going to be looking at three things this evening. First, we're going to be looking at the person of Melchizedek. Second, we're going to be looking at the perfection of Christ. And third, we're going to be looking at the promise of forever. Again, that's the person of Melchizedek, the perfection of Christ, and third, the promise of forever. So let's get started by taking a look at our first point this evening, the person of Melchizedek. So as we, as we delve into chapter 7 of this letter to the Hebrews, the history lesson that we started last time continues for these struggling Christians. And last Sunday, we looked at the promises made to Abraham, our father of the faith and the covenant that God made with him concerning those promises. This evening, we're going to be jumping back one more chapter to Genesis 14 to understand who Melchizedek is and what that means for us when we look at the priesthood of our own great high priest, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week, we left off with these words, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This begs the question, who is Melchizedek? After all, this is not the first time we've heard of him in this letter to the Hebrews. In fact, uh, Melchizedek has been uttered three times prior to chapter 7. We have it here in chapter 6, verse 20, which we just read. But he also came up in chapter 5, verse 6, and chapter 5, verse 10, all of which are referring to the type of priesthood our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ fulfills. So it's with this background now that we read, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So here we see that Melchizedek is is a king. He's a high priest of the Most High God. 
He's one who blessed Abraham and one to whom Abraham gave a tenth of everything. To flesh this out a little more, though, we have to think back to Genesis 14. Now, just to recap what happens in chapter 14 here, uh, this is the account of Abram's rescuing of Lot from the clutches of Kettle or Lamer. And his kings, uh, when they defeated uh, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, when they had joined a battle in the valley of Sidim. And, and, and he, that is uh, Kedolamer, took all of the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, including Abraham's nephew Lot. And upon hearing this, Abraham and his allies went and, and defeated Kerdolemer uh, and, and brought back Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. So it is here that we read in Genesis 14, verses 17 through 20. After this, Abram's return uh, from the defeat of, of Kedolamer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was high priest of the Most High, of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The only other place in the whole Old Testament where Melchizedek is mentioned is Psalm 110 verse 4 where we read the passage already quoted for us in chapter 5, verse 6 of Hebrews, where we read, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this is all that we are told about the figure of Melchizedek. But if we pay attention, Scripture has already told us some fairly significant things about this priest of the Most High God. As it says in verses 2 and 3 of our Hebrews passage this evening, we read, He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So Melchizedek, his name comes from the Hebrew words Melechi, which means my king, and Zedek, meaning righteousness. So Melchizedek actually means king of righteousness, or my king is righteous. And that he is the king of peace, that is to say Salem. It's, it's from the same root of the word shalom that we hear about. This is generally a city that's identified with Jerusalem. So these titles let us know what kind of, of man this Melchizedek truly is. Now verse 3 can be a little bit more difficult to understand for those outside of a Hebrew context. One can begin to wonder if Melchizedek is some sort of divine or supernatural being. After all, he's without father or mother or genealogy, and he has neither beginning of days or end of life. But, but this is not the case when, when we take into account the argument that the writer of the letter to the Hebrews is making. The writer is comparing the priesthood of Melchizedek with those priests descended from Aaron. A requirement for holding uh, the office of priest under the Aaronic line was, was a proven genealogy. Melchizedek had none of this. 
in the Genesis 14 passage and then in the Psalm 110 passage, nothing is mentioned about his genealogy. We don't know his father. We don't know his mother. We don't know when he was born or or when he died. But what we do know is that he was a priest of the Most High God and that he blessed Abraham and that Abraham gave him a tenth of the first fruits of the spoils from this great battle that he was in. So we have to also take into account what what is said at the end of verse 3. Melchizedek is the one who resembles the Son of God, not the other way around. Melchizedek is a man, a man of great stature, but a man nonetheless. So we continue to see the the greatness of Melchizedek here in verse 4 and the following verses. We see that Abraham received a blessing from him with the caveat that the superior is the one that blesses the inferior. And Abraham gives Melchizedek this tithe. Now remember that under the Aaronic priesthood, people gave to the priests because they were required to do so under the law. For example, in Numbers 18, verses 21 and 24, we read, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel." So the Levites take their tithes from their brothers. That is to say that the Levites take their tithes from the people of Israel due to the command of God. But this is not the case with Abraham and Melchizedek. Abraham, the patriarch of all the Hebrew people, gave Melchizedek the tithe, not out of any lawful obligation, but due to the fact that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham and because he served the Most High God. We also see that that it could be said that Levi himself paid the tithe through Abraham because Levi is a descendant from from Abraham's line. And this was, was, was a big tithe. After all, Abraham had just defeated four kings. This this is the history of Melchizedek, and it's important to those Hebrews believer to those Hebrew believers in the first century as well as for us today, because it will be the basis for the comparison between him and our Lord, Jesus Christ, in his priestly office in the following verses. This brings us to our second point this evening, the perfection of Christ. The perfection of Christ. So why is the writer going through the pains of of drawing a distinction between the Aaronic priesthood and this priesthood of Melchizedek? Because the Aaronic priesthood was temporary, And could not actually save. In verse 11 we read now. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood. For under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek. Rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. The Levitical priesthood had an expiration date. And that was the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And the the Aaronic priesthood is is a subset of that line that served Israel since since the exile. And they could never actually save people with their sacrifices. As, As we will read later in this letter to the Hebrews, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The root cause of of all the people's suffering still remained. They they still had sinful natures and they still committed these sins 
that required more sacrifices. And the cycle continued over and over and over and over again. There was never an utterance of, it is finished. As we continue in verses 12 to 14, we read, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This is not to say that God's law is no longer in effect. After all, we read the words of our Lord in Matthew five seventeen and 18, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. So what's happening here is that God is, is changing the law as it pertains to the priesthood with a, with a later oath. He can do that because he's the writer of it. As we see in Psalm 110, verse 4, and later in verse 28 of our passage, in order to appoint his son a high priest in another order, with the coming of Christ, the priestly order was transformed and transferred from, from the line of Levi to the line of Judah. With his once-for-all sacrifice, Christ fulfilled the law and made the Levitical priesthood obsolete. After all, the Messiah was to come from David's line. As we see in God's covenant made with David in 2 Samuel 7, he was to be born in Bethlehem of Judah as seen in Micah 5. And this is what we see in the genealogies of Christ in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. As one theologian put it, to make Jesus who belongs to the tribe of Judah serve at the altar is contrary to the law. Remember that Uzziah, king of Judah, entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense and was stricken with leprosy in 2 Chronicles 26. Now we do read that both David and Solomon, belonging to the tribe of Judah, offered sacrifices on several occasions, but the sacrifices apparently were performed by the priests at the request of David and Solomon. But God had appointed the descendants of Levi to minister first at the tabernacle and later at the temple. And anyone from another tribe who approached the sanctuary would be put to death. Psalm 110 verse 4 in the context of the epistles to the Hebrews teaches us two, two points. First, that God overruled the law concerning the Levitical priesthood because he, as the maker of the law, had the authority to change it. And second, belonging to the priestly order of Melchizedek is entirely different from being a descendant of any of the tribes of Israel. Jesus descended from the tribe of Judah, but his descent could attest only to his royalty. Moses said nothing about priests from the tribe of Judah, and therefore Jesus would transgress the Mosaic law if he assumed the priestly functions given to the descendants of Aaron. So we have, we have this, this tension here. A Levite, a Levite couldn't be the Messiah. And this is what we see as we continue in our passage Continuing at verse 15, Jesus is a high priest in the likeness of Melchizedek. He, he's not made a priest on, on the basis of a legal requirement, based on genealogies, but based on the power of an indestructible life. Again, this points to the fact that the Levitical order was a temporary one. A, a priest of the Levitical line ceases to serve once he dies. This is not the case with Jesus Christ. He's conquered the grave and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father this very moment. 
Now remember from last time that Aaron was appointed to be a priest by God in Exodus chapter 29. But God swears to Christ's priesthood with an oath. This is why Christians are to have a better confidence. This is why we're to have this better hope. Because this is what makes Jesus Christ the guarantor or, or, or the backer of this better covenant. As we see in verse 22. Because of Christ's indestructible life, we see that his priesthood is better than the succession of many priests in verse 23. This is why he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ doesn't kind of save, he saves to the uttermost. His mediation is not pointing to something better yet not yet revealed as the Levitical and Aaronic priesthoods did. He, he's the telos. He's, he's that perfect and complete end of all mediation between God and his people. And he's still there doing it for us right now. Praise God. So what kind of confidence do you think that this would instill in, in these struggling believers as they're barraged by their family and their friends and their synagogues for turning to Christianity from, from this lesser Judaism? What kind of confidence does this instill in us today? This is the greatness of our priest forever. The one who fulfilled the role of the Aaronic high priest by entering behind the curtain on our behalf. By providing atonement for us because he is also a priest that knows no end after the order of Melchizedek. This is why the writer spent his time providing this history lesson to these believers. Because it illustrates the superiority of our great priest and his mediation over anything that Judaism could ever do for them. I know this analogy pales in comparison, and it totally breaks down when pressed, but but why would you want the rusted-out Ford Pento on blocks that isn't actually running when you could have that 2023 Chevy Silverado with the lift kit and the technology package? It's a no-brainer, right? That brings us to our final point, the promise of forever. So we have looked at at this historical person of Melchizedek. We've explored what it means for for Jesus to be made a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now let's take note of these two things and what they mean for God's people as we see the type of mediator that we serve. First, in verse 26, we read of the character of our great high priest. We read, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus Christ is able to do the work that that the Aaronic high priest did, though, though he did it perfectly so, because he isn't tainted by sin. None of those Levitical priests could, could claim this. They, they all needed to atone for themselves before they could atone for the people. And the atonement that they provided was one that was flawed, and it never really solved the problem. They, they pointed to Christ's priesthood and the atonement that, that he has provided, but they were merely types and shadows of this great salvation that was to come. And as we see in verse 27, these sinful priests needed to offer up these sacrifices daily. Looking further into verse 27, we also read of, of the nature of the sacrifice of our great high priest. When we read, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus Christ's mediation for his people needed only one sacrifice. 
The sacrifice wasn't, wasn't a temporary thing. When Jesus uttered, it is finished on that cross at Calvary, it really was finished. He died for all sin, past, present, and future. It was only in, in this one sacrifice that all of those sacrifices under the Mosaic law held any meaning. So as we read in Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 7, section 5, the, these sacrifices, they foresignified Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the, the elect in faith in the promised Messiah by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation is called the Old Testament. In verse 28, our writer sums everything up for us by, by reiterating that our great priest is greater than any priest the law could ever appoint because our priest is commissioned with an oath from God. Not only that, he is the son of God himself who has been made perfect forever. These persecuted Hebrew Christians can find solace in the fact that, that the pain that they are enduring for the sake of Christ and his cross is not in vain. And that they can look forward to the day when they are with Christ because Jesus Christ's mediation actually gets the job done. So where are you at tonight, little farms? Are you placing your trust in this better mediation of Jesus Christ? Our priest forever and the order of Melchizedek? Are you living your life in light of Christ and his finished work? Are you trying to earn your salvation by checking all of the right boxes? The fact of the matter is that as fallen human beings, we will never reach the perfection of our great high priest. And and God's standard is perfection. If this is you, 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 you run yourself ragged and you'll never obtain your goal. You'll forever be be grinding it out and failing at every turn. Brothers and sisters, we just can't do it on our own. So turn to Jesus and rest in his finished work. He's lived the life that you couldn't live. He's died the death that you deserved. He's conquered the grave and he's sitting at the right hand of God, the Father, making intercession, praying for us this very moment. Christ is doing the work of a priest for his people and he's going to be doing it forever till he comes again. So put your faith in him alone, know his peace, experience his lasting hope and rest in his better mediation of this better covenant. Christ will be coming again to judge the living and the dead. Don't wait another day to to believe in this Jesus. Pray that the Holy Spirit would do a mighty work of faith in your heart even tonight. And when you do pray, do so in the only name by which we can approach the throne of grace, Jesus Christ our Lord, our great priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And may we be so bold as to tell others of our, our great high priest in this week to come. May God grant it. Amen.